0: Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. In the studio with me tonight is Carol Epp. Carol is a ceramicist now based out of Saskatoon, but she did her MFA in Australia back in 2005 and has been active on the local scene since then. Thanks for joining me, Carol.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So you're here today in part to talk about Make and Do, a new online project that you have started, maybe you could start by describing a bit about what that is.
1: Sure, makeanddo.ca is a website that we've built, myself and um, Mariko Patterson got together late last year and basically we pulled together 15 artists and we built this website and what it is is sort of a meeting place for Canadian ceramics so each of the makers who are involved in this project, each have their own social media presence, a strong body of work, you know, a good exhibition history, all that kind of stuff. Um, but what we thought was this sort of idea that if we bring everybody together and we all sort of work in this similar way together, we can sort of bridge each other's audiences and also, and therefore, build each other's audiences and sort of just make a larger noise than we could do individually. So, the website, what it encompasses is a gallery page for each of the 15 members, and then we've got an online shop, um, which goes up every month at the beginning of the month. There's new product in the shop, and then at the end of the month, it disappears, and then some new stuff comes, and starting April 1st, we're also bringing in a guest artist every month. So, that will be somebody from across Canada, ceramic artists, and they'll have items in the shop for that month. There'll be a full gallery page of them. There'll be a profile on the blog with them answering a bunch of questions about, sort of the local scene where they live and and their history within ceramics and their education within Canada. Just sort of the broad idea of the whole website is to sort of have not just this marketing or, you know, shop-based platform, but to have a space where we can sort of keep a record of and build sort of a database of things that are going on within Canadian ceramics and a little bit of the history of where a lot of contemporary makers came from. So over time, I mean, it's very... In its infantile stages right now but over time it'll sort of grow to be a bit more of a resource for people hopefully
0: the first online shop was this past month in march correct
1: that's correct yes
0: so how has that been going so far
1: it's been going really well um right away at the beginning of march we had a whole bunch of sales and we're noticing now again towards the end of the month people are grabbing those items that they know are going to disappear so that sort of marketing tactic seems to be working um yeah, it's been a really great response, far more than we expected. And we, we only launched the website February 1st and sort of had a month where it was just the website and the gallery. And so for two months into it, we're feeling pretty good about it. And we're really thankful for all the support that we've gotten from everyone.
0: Well, and you're talking about building that support from within the group and sort of building off each other's own existing networks. I mean, the Instagram account for that had, as far as I could tell, 2,000 likes in a very short period of time, or is it...
1: Yeah, I think it's over 3,000 now. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's going really well. And I think, I mean, that's the thing. We all, all of the 15 artists, makers, we we live in different parts of the country. And some of us are in in larger areas with large population base. And some of us, you know, like I'm in Saskatoon, which is, it's not small, but it's not huge. It's not Vancouver. It's And so for us to sort of go out and always be marketing our own stuff and sort of building our own audiences gets gets a little bit hard on the local scene. So going a little bit more nationally and trying to have a national voice seems to sort of be working a little bit
0: you're each sort of building your audience within your community, but then connecting those communities through this platform to some extent?
1: Pretty much. And I think there's also, people get really tired of being marketed to, where you're always like, oh, look at my stuff, look at my stuff, look at my stuff. Whereas if you can kind of go, hey, look at all these other wonderful people, and when they go to look at those other wonderful people, you're kind of there too. Then it's sort of this different way that we can each market our own work and get our own name out there, sort of guilt by association with these other great people.
0: You were mentioning you just came back from NSICA. Could you give us the...
1: Um oh, I'm going to mess it up too. It's the National Council for the Education of the Ceramic Arts.
0: Awesome. I did not <laughs> mention I was going to ask that. So
1: <laughs> It's okay. I just have to think about it.
0: Okay. So you were down at the NSECA conference in Kansas City just recently. Yes, I, I was. And you? how was the reception to it there?
1: Uh, actually, I was pretty floored. There was four of us members that went down and we fully expected to just be you know, sort of shouting from the tops of buildings and trying to market the make and do website and really get the name out there. And when we, when we got there, people were coming up to us and telling us how they'd seen the website, that they were really supportive of it, that they were really happy to see a Canadian platform like this yeah we were kind of overwhelmed actually and we even threw a pub night while we were down there and that was that was awesome brought together a bunch of the canadian ceramic artists who were down there for the conference but we had a huge number of americans come out to it too who were really supportive of what we're doing
0: so then something like this does it exist in the states or in different areas of the states or is this somewhat of a new approach to marketing yourselves in ceramics
1: we sort of built off um, a couple different examples that existed in the states Uh, so we looked at ObjectiveClay.com, which is another group of ceramic artists in the States who were from diverse areas who sort of got together at residency program and therefore built off of that and and worked together with a similar sort of website platform with gallery and blog and shop and then we also looked at things like artaccess.org which is a sort of a larger ceramics database of artists it's a juried gallery space where um, members can have their own gallery page which links off to their own sites and whatnot but it's sort of this you don't sell directly off art access you it's basically just to to be a database and a resource of um, amazing contemporary ceramic art that's out there okay um so but they've got i think over 400 members now who have gallery pages within that so we looked at things like that and just sort of s- to see how having a small group marketing a larger group of artists how that was working and how that could actually become sort of this framework for also educational resources not not just marketing.
0: You mentioned that idea of a small group of artists supporting a larger, and is that curatorial aspect that's one of the sort of cornerstones of this, is this idea of it not just being anyone can, you know, get on here, but there being some selection.
1: The way we're sort of looking at make and do, I mean, Marika Patterson and I sort of are the co-directors right now, and we're the ones that got together with the original idea. So that's sort of this inner circle. And then the next circle out from that is this group of the 15 of us who are on the website who are part of the shop who are constantly on the Instagram, those sorts of things. And then outside from that, we've got our guest artists who switch over every month. So that's a larger circle. And then outside of that, we've got the blog. So we'll be showcasing other Canadian talent from across Canada, emerging, established, you name it. Things that are going on in the community with galleries, that type of thing, and not necessarily just what artists are doing and so that's sort of a larger circle and then even beyond that the largest circle that we've got of inclusivity is, is that we're starting this canadian ceramics directory and that one anybody who has a website basically can be a part of anybody who has a ceramic based website so if you own a, a ceramic supply store if you're a ceramic artist if you're a potter uh, whatever the case may be as long as it's ceramic clay related and you have a website you can become a part of that so there's some parts of it are inclusive, and they're quite juried, and they're, and it is tight. I mean, our guest artists, there's one a month, so that's 12 people in a year. It's not a lot, right? Right. But we're looking for people who will supply content for the blog. So artists who are having shows, we can do profiles of that kind of stuff on the blog. And we're quite open to sort of building the blog as that sort of a resource. So there are levels of inclusivity, but... We just can't include everybody because it would be mayhem.
0: But also there's something that it loses that point too. Because I think of like a resource like Etsy where... There's so many people out there, it's hard to find.
1: Yeah, and we don't want it to get to that point where people are filtering through too much to get to what it is that they're looking for. But we also needed it to be I mean, 15 people alone working on one website and doing, sharing all of these jobs of, of marketing and social media and accounting and, and writing and all these kinds of things. 15 people is a lot of people already to sort of control. So much more than that, and it gets a little bit kind of crazy.
0: So no real ex- plans to expand that 15 in the Not near future? Not at
1: this point. I think it's, we've definitely got ideas of where we would like to take the website over the next, say, 5 years, 10 years, and there's definitely growth that would see a lot more members coming in, but right now to undertake that kind of, it, we're baby stepping through it, and we're going to go really slow so that we do it in a manageable way that Accountable to all the people who are involved so that it doesn't fall apart after all the work that people put into it Of course
0: part of what led into that at least in my knowledge of your work was you're musing about mud blog
1: it's musing about mud.blogspot.com i know nobody's on blogger anymore it's really embarrassing Thanks. it's one of those platforms that are getting really outdated but i'm having trouble switching it over to wordpress or something because i'm there's a huge archive there again this that blog to me again is about being a resource for a community and so there's a lot of information that goes back to 2007 on Musing About Mud and I worry about switching it to a new platform like WordPress so that it could be nice and shiny and pretty and then suddenly we lose this whole archive right. of, of past posts so that's so why it's still Blogger.
0: <laughs> and the first time I actually met you is when you were doing a professional practices talk about your, your career and about Musing About Mud and one of the phrases that still sticks with me is you said every artist needs a website and if someone finds out about you and then they you know google you and go search online you're not there they forget about you you know and so it was this... it was just interesting coming out of school for me and being in this position of going, yeah, I really need to up that if I ever want to get anywhere, you know?
1: Yeah, I think I I feel bad because I feel like I'm I'm a real stickler when it comes to that idea of people having a website and how important it is nowadays. But here's an example, um, which sort of actually led to building make and do.com, but I had contact with a couple different organizations in the states last year one being a ceramics magazine an internationally read magazine and then a couple galleries contacted me and for some reason they contacted me hoping that I could act as a resource to give them a list of some ceramic Canadian ceramic artists that they needed to have on their radar so I Knew that my radar was pretty limited as to what was going on all the way across Canada. So I spent some, a couple months actually doing some research online, getting people to sort of give me information of people that they thought should be included on that list. Uh, and I spent a whole lot of time looking uh, for people's websites. And honestly, it's, you know, if I can find two images of your work online and it looks amazing, that's one thing. But if I can't send somebody a website, then I can't forward your name because I can't stand behind it. So I I ended up compiling this quite lengthy list of artists whose work I respected and wanted to stand behind and gave it to this magazine publication and gave it to all these American galleries. But there was a lot of artists on there that I would have loved to have included that I couldn't, and it was because they didn't have a website
0: even now when everything is social media, you still need somewhere to send people and often that does become that website.
1: Yeah, and it it can be as simple as just a one-page website that has one image of your work or two images of your work and then a way to contact you. It's as simple as that, right? So it's just some way that people can access you like a business card.
0: That's interesting too though that you would say that you felt that you had to do some research before knowing how to reference people across Canada because One of the things about your Musing About Mud blog is the Monday Morning Eye Candy, at least that's what I remember seeing pop up on my social media feed often, and this idea of you bringing attention to different artists. And so, I mean, you are in contact and learning about lots of artists all the time, right? That's part of the blog, or...?
1: Yeah. And I I think so much of that comes down to just me wanting to research and have an interest for myself of what's out there so that I can contextualize what I'm making in the studio in relation to what else is happening in contemporary ceramics, whether it be regional or national or internationally. But yeah, a lot about the make and do was was a couple of us realizing that we didn't have that great of a grasp of what was going on in Canadian ceramics. And in some ways, we had a better grasp of what was going on in American ceramics. Mm -hmm. And that's because there's publications and there's a lot more websites that are dedicated to that. And the community down there is a little... I don't want to use the wrong word, but they're louder about how they promote themselves. And whether or not that's a Canadian mentality to be a bit more humble, um, maybe not. (laughs) There was this difference. And so we were seeing a lot more American artists come through teaching workshops and being on our radar. And so for Mariko and I, that, that was a lot of the make and do was to just go, okay, no way. There's tons of amazing stuff that's going on here. And it's as good, if not, you know, It's equivalent to what's happening in the States. It's equivalent to what's happening internationally. And so that stuff needs to have a voice. And so, of course, make and do isn't a total voice for all of that yet. But hopefully over time, we can grow to be more of a voice for a lot of those artists.
0: There's a couple of things when you've mentioned about the idea of there being limited time sales. You know, this is a marketing Mm -hmm. technique. And this idea of bringing greater attention to Canadian ceramics, because one of the things that, and I could be wrong, please correct me, but one of the things that seems to be in the ceramics community that isn't, say, in the painting community is this notion of needing to promote yourself and mm-hmm. knowing how to sell your own work because i mean a large portion i shouldn't say a large portion but certainly a significant part of your sales come at craft sales come at things like flock and gather which you are a part of and other sales
1: i know a lot of people who market their work and sell their work online i know a lot of artists who do a lot of wholesale uh, who do gallery shows who do craft sales there's sort of a whole gambit of what um ceramic artists do depending on the type of product that they make Um, whether it's more art objects or or more functionally based design based or whatever so there's all these different options of what to do but again I think a lot of people fall back on not wanting to give away 50% commission all the time. And so a lot of people go to online for that and want to, it's the same with doing a craft sale where you get to interact with your audience directly and you're talking with them and there's, and you get to hear their stories and see them interact with your work. In some ways selling online is a little bit like that as well. Um, You are, you know, you're not face to face, but you at least don't have like this gallery or this organization as a buffer in between you and that, that person. So you're communicating back and forth with them. Them directly and there's some really nice feedback and stuff that happens that way I think for me in the last couple of years I've been watching a lot of artists who sell really well their ceramic art online and there's definitely ways of marketing it they get people past that idea that they need to hold the object they need to see it first hand before they buy it and I think for a long time that maybe held ceramics back a little bit um, because it was like well it's sort of like buying jeans online you're not sure if they're gonna fit you know you buy a mug online you're not sure if it's gonna fit in your hand there's a possibility it won't right the handle might not you know fit the size of your hand properly but I think people are getting past that and people I think in general are, are so much more comfortable with buying things online now than they ever were before
0: it's interesting too though that that becomes a space actually for artists rather than necessarily for galleries to really go and promote and yeah, yeah well and that you guys are trying to create that collective presence but without taking away from any one individual. Like the collective isn't getting fifty percent off the sales through, you know, like I'm assuming.
1: No, um I mean how make and do works is that we're we're taking a very minor commission from the members and that's really just to keep things afloat in terms of the website or printing postcards. And then the guest artists give us a slightly higher commission rate of fifteen percent. So that's which is in
0: gallery context, nothing.
1: nothing. (laughs) Yeah, and, and we feel that we're gonna be doing enough promoting to warrant that and hopefully the artist will be happy with what we're doing, but yeah, to ask more than that at this point is not—it's not fair, and and we don't want to turn into that other gallery system. We're trying to keep more, more of the money in the artist's hands, and more of of you know that relationship between our makers and their audience in the control of the makers' hands,
0: which is interesting and part of I'm sure why that also builds out of being very selective of that artist that you start with who have their own community because. That community must be reflective, I'm sure, of them communicating with their audience already. I mean, you don't build a community unless you're in communication with them.
1: Yeah, and I think artists sometimes, I mean, we're really quiet and we don't really want to talk about our work and we don't want to put ourselves out there. But sometimes social media or being online allows us to not take on a different persona and be a different person, but allows us to, to sort of get outside of our comfort zones in nice ways. So I know some of these artists that we've included, they're, they're fairly quiet in their presence, even within the group. But they have a lot to give in a lot of different ways. And their work is of high quality. And, and that quality stands the test of time and, and has built an audience based on the quality of the work.
0: One of the other aspects that I'm interested in with Make and Do is, I guess, the ability to sell work that is approachable or work that's more challenging. Because, I mean, there is ceramic works, like you mentioned, a mug, which, you know, can be something that people can understand how it incorporates into their life. But there's other works that can be harder or a more challenging cell. I'm just wondering how, as Make and Do is growing, how you're thinking incorporating that.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's uh, so the fifteen artists that we have right now. I think we, Mariko and I, when we were when we were compiling a list of people that we wanted to to work with. It was a very long list to start with, but we sort of focused on more functional-based work or design-based work for right now because building an online presence and building an online gallery shop, to us, it made more sense to have objects that were not necessarily easier, but that were more, people were easier with buying a mug online than they would be buying a $5,000 sculpture. And so... It's sort of in that first year, what we want to do is just sort of build a reputation of the blog or the website so that it has this reputation of being a good place to go and to buy things and that people are comfortable and that, you know, they get their stuff on time and that everything shows up in one piece and that the artists are very good with the business that they're running. We do want to, probably starting next year, bring in some more stuff that's a bit more sculptural-based, that's a bit more challenging, and have that included in the shop as well. And it's just a matter of sort of, again, like we've got a limited amount of artists that are members a m- limited amount of monthly spots for the guest artists and so we're sort of going to slowly shift towards having things that are a little bit more different and a little bit more challenging but again it's it's not so much about educating ceramic artists but it's this is about marketing to a general population and so we need to sort of our idea, I guess, was that you do it in a way that's a little bit more comfortable to start with. And then you start to push the boundaries on them. And And I think even some of the artists who we've got right now, like Leslie McNally's work, for example, is she's not showing mugs. She's not selling, you know, plates and stuff. She's pushing those boundaries already of what a functional object could be. And she's got these beautiful vessel-based pieces that are great, you know, to put in the middle of your table and to have that, like, domestic put it on display kind of thing, but they're also very challenging and, and beautiful and exquisitely made in terms of the t- the technique and the textures and stuff that are there. So I see even some of the, the work that we've got right now as being challenging even to just that general demographic.
0: Challenging, but at the same time still, like you say, build the audience for ceramics first and mm-hmm. then help this audience to grow in terms of an understanding of ceramics to some extent, maybe, or an understanding mm-hmm. of the conversations that can be had.
1: Absolutely. And I, I mean, I make work on the other hand like i make dishes with cats on them and then on the other hand i make figurative sculpture that's really somewhat controversial and so you know there's I know in my experience of marketing those two bodies of work that there's there's certain ways of approaching them that work a lot better and there are ways of approaching marketing that that sort of controversial over the top political statement work um, to a general audience that's that that would be less comfortable with it than say the kitten plate or whatever Uh, but there's ways of doing that and but you have to sort of you've got to really think ahead and, and plan them through and so we're trying to build those sorts of marketing strategies into what we're doing too
0: but that's part of the professional practices going back to that sort of earlier conversation of like when i first came to know your practice in terms of knowing an audience in a given area and and speaking to an audience because as much as you want to push a boundary there's also an aspect of respecting that audience yeah You, you establish that audience you provide that as a start and then you're expanding it to sort of say okay but could you also consider Yes,
1: yeah, absolutely. And for the first while, I mean, we need to even just figure out who it is that's coming to make and do. I mean, we know from going down to Anseeka that, that the clay community itself is coming and seeing the website, and that's great. And potters always buy each other's pots. And so we, you know, we're a really good audience for each other. But there's also, we need to spend a couple months, like six months to a year, really just trying to figure out what our demographic is. And, that, you know, I remember with Flock and Gather when I was working with that organization, and we really were surprised by what the demographic actually was that was coming and was spending money at those sales and you always go in with certain expectations of what you think you're marketing towards and then the reality starts to sort of filter up and bubble up and then you go okay well that's interesting and this type of marketing really works for these people and so how do we address these other demographics that we're not hitting and stuff and so I think you start a website and of course you want it to be really successful from the get-go and you want you know, things to be very professional and to be addressing all of these different issues and, and whatnot. But it really does take a, t- a lot of time and analysis to to sort of go, okay, this is what's happening. This is where it's succeeding. This is where it's failing. This is what needs to be adjusted. So,
0: But at the same time, when I'm talking with artists about professional practices, and I just, I, I want to pull this out because I think it's interesting. Some of the words that you're mentioning, you're talking about your audience and understanding who your buyers are and understanding mm-hmm. who is there. And there's times when I've talked with, especially emerging artists, when you're talking about starting practice, where the consideration of audience is almost something that artists at times think that they don't want to even think about that because it might influence the work.
1: Right. And then they get out in the real world and they discover they need to make money. Uh, (laughs) I actually, it was interesting because in the last month, I I taught a workshop at a university and was actually almost called out after the talk that I gave. And in a good way, this was, I'm not trying to be negative towards this person or what their comment, but they basically, they sort of called me out for for selling my work. And I realized that I, you know, and I have gone through that academic system of undergrad and graduate school where you don't really think about the realities of paying bills outside of that and you're making work for an academic audience sometimes a very limited esoteric audience and when you're out of that you sort of realize that you really have to as an artist push your boundaries in order to keep making work and to get your work out there because there's only so many spaces that are going to show that type of work or that are going to support that type of work. And so this student basically called me out about selling my work, and I went, okay, right? I remember being there. I remember thinking that everybody was just going to come to my door and that there was going to be shows and that I wasn't going to have to hustle, you know, but I mean, I look more now at people, you know, I follow people like Gary V on my Instagram account who, he's a marketing guru, right? And he... I find I learn more from people like that now than I do from reading my art theory books. Not that that art theory and that research isn't relevant, but being on this side of things where I'm just trying to pay some bills at the end of the month and I've got a family to support and I wanna not just make enough to keep making work, but to actually push my work into bigger audiences and stuff. You have to think about the marketing part of it. And I I mean, I make cat dishes most of the time, right? And I think-
0: (laughs) We said we'd talk about cats (laughs) at some point.
1: We have to talk about cats. But, I mean, I think I, you know, you, t- you worry about, okay, people are going to push you too much into a direction where you're going to meet audience demands rather than your own aesthetic choices or your own passions of what you want to talk about. And, I mean, perfect example is, is the amount of people that want me to make dog dishes is insane. And I say no. Right? Now, to be serious, though, so you... You will have the integrity, I think, as good artists have the integrity to still fulfill the vision of what it is that they want to accomplish within their work, and yet still be realistic about getting that work out there. I don't, as an artist, want to make things solely for the fact that I've made this object and therefore it encompasses what, you know, these ideas that I had or whatever. For me, making, making art is about a dialogue between myself and with another person. And so if that another, other person never enters the equation, then I've failed right then it's me sitting in a room talking with this piece of fired clay so it's about this discussion and so I have to be accountable to my audience and that's how I approach it I don't know that every artist approaches it that way that's how I approach it is that these objects you make them for yourself you make them out of the passion and what you want to say but you're also still trying to talk to somebody else through them
0: There's also, though, and I mean, you know, I come from a commercial side of things often, too. And so I don't mind there being a financial transaction. In some ways, you know, that's one way of someone supporting your work. Yes, Mm -hmm. artist fees are great, and that is one way of going about it. But Mm -hmm. on a much more democratic level, sometimes you're allowing a larger number of people to support your work rather than a, a select few would.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: To talk about one other aspect, too, though, is just to say, to me, it's also respecting that that audience has something important to say and is a valuable like you say a valuable dialogue in the work
1: absolutely and I think you know it's sort of hard to explain it with I, I don't want as an artist to feel like I have this authoritarian voice. I don't have all the answers. That's why I make art, is to try and figure out answers to questions that I have. And so I think, for me, it's always about that dialogue, because I'm learning something from the audience, I'm learning something from the material, I'm learning something from the process. I, as an artist, am learning and exploring through all of the stuff that I do, and so I never want it to come across as being something where it's like, well, I've got all the answers, and here it is, all summed up in this little pretty package.
0: But that doesn't really allow people much of something to connect with either, you know? it's like
1: no I would think not at all and I I mean I love work that I can go to and that offers me a way into the work and I can challenge it I can appreciate it on certain levels I can you know take something away I can bring my own baggage to it I can have an interaction with it if I come to a piece of art in a gallery that I you know it doesn't offer me any ways in because it's this one voice of an artist and that's it then it doesn't do it for me
0: it's also interesting, though, in terms of the audience that you're reaching. I mean, to my knowledge, you know, in a couple days of Flock and Gather, you're getting more people through than most galleries do in probably a few months, you know? So it, it's Possibly, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, You know, to speak from personal experience, you probably are. And it's, yeah. it's interesting to sort of say, you know, How you're connecting with people in a way that they feel comfortable and approachable, because that's one thing also with the galleries. There's always that notion of stepping over that threshold and the comfort level of entering a gallery for someone that doesn't come from that background. Where I could be wrong, but flock and gather. When you're talking about craft sale, it doesn't have that same barrier for a lot of people, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was a shock to me too after going through you know academic environments and whatnot and being in the gallery system and even working in the gallery system for a number of years, sort of being on that side of it, and then of all things once i had kids i started interacting with a very different community of people because you know you're looking for people who have kids too and and whatnot and so suddenly i was talking with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and finding you know the people i met people who'd never been into a gallery before you know and 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 knew people who even if they knew me would probably still never go into a gallery to see my work do you know what I mean? Because it, they felt like it wasn't a space for them. And so things like being online and selling work online, that's a space for everybody. It's You sort of put the gallery space sort of on the same playing field as like Etsy or as Amazon or as eBay. Like, things that people are comfortable with. And they don't have to get out of their pajamas. They <laughs> don't have to go across this threshold. They don't have to feel uncomfortable. They can look at it. They can digest it. They can you know, feel that they don't understand it and nobody's judging them if they don't understand it from the comfort of their own home. And I think there's something really interesting about that that's sort of maybe expanding the boundaries of audience that would appreciate art that maybe wouldn't have before because they would never have crossed those thresholds.
0: There's also something interesting in that to me about saying you care about someone connecting with your work sort of period, rather than saying, I care if someone who has a background in art history and understands the context of which this is coming from understands it, if that makes sense. You're not trying to speak necessarily to a select few people. You're trying to speak to just people in general and trying to reach a broader audience with your work.
1: Yeah, because again, I mean, for me, making art is about asking questions that I don't have the answers to. So, of course, I want to, I basically want to crowdsource from the largest amount of people to get some answers back about the things that I'm struggling with or that I'm trying to work out through my work.
0: The, and that notion of uh, the online is becoming a community or starting a community or being one other entry point. It's really interesting. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I think I still find it interesting that this day and age, we still talk about this idea of community online and that it's OK that these people are actual people and that they are actual friends and stuff. And I feel like for me, having had such a presence online over the last 10 years, I have friends that I've never met that are closer friends than friends that I've known for 10 years in person. Right. And and that those barriers have really been broken down over the last while and I know that there's still people, whether it be generational or or what have you, that don't really see it as that yet, but I think there is this massive shift of people who really do see the potential for these communities online as really being supportive of each other and spaces to market to, spaces to sell.
0: Well, I remember in one of our past conversations you mentioning that you've met people online and then you go to a conference like in SICA. And- it allowed you to get past that small talk portion of it really quickly. Like you have a deeper conversation with someone who you're meeting in person for the first time much quicker.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to start talking about the weather or, you know, your backgrounds you know these people because you've seen them online you know where they studied you know the kind of work that they make being at NSEKA in this last week or whatever the amount of people that I that I talked to is just it's I don't recognize their face but they say their name and I know their work and so yeah right away I can talk with them about their work because I've had this experience with it for the last five years and it's constantly showing up in my news feed and and you know and some people's like I know the piece you're working on right now this is awesome let's talk about this and you jump right into these amazing conversations that yeah you you wouldn't do otherwise
0: that's well, interesting when you're talking about seeing someone's work because i mean for many of us even in person at a gallery you're still not meeting the artist you know them through their work so
1: yeah. I don't know. It's
0: interesting. yeah so one of the other aspects of make and do is about building an audience for canadian ceramics and part of that too is helping to create an understanding i would assume of the amount of work that goes into this and the idea of trying to make a living or at least supplement a living off of ceramics. And so I think you were mentioning before to me in a conversation that in the U.S. there's often a greater willingness to pay higher prices for ceramics than there might be in Canada.
1: Yeah, there definitely is. And I think the website, what we're trying to do is, even if you go to the gallery pages for each artist, you'll see that there's images of finished work. There's images of work in use, like pots in use and being cooked in and, and how they would seem in your own environment. And then there's also behind the scenes of how the artists are actually making the work. And I think that's one thing that with galleries, often there's a bit of a gap that the audience doesn't actually get that kind of information. So they get this final finished piece and they don't really know all of the stuff that's led up to it and that's, that's created this and all of the blood, sweat, and tears or whatever behind it. So I think with websites like Make and Do, what we can do is we can educate the audience a little bit more about what it is. And I think there's this whole maker sort of movement that's going on and people are really sort of attaching themselves to, you know, like handmade this, handmade that, whatever. And so it's a great time to sort of be marketing that stuff. But allowing people to see that okay, this is some of the process behind making a teapot or making a simple mug or even like the influences. I mean again I speak for myself. Like I've got lots of kids and cats in my work, but that's my family life. That's a direct influence of what it is that's going on in my life. And I like to share that through social media or whatever so that people have a better sense of what's in my work, why it's there and why it's of value. And I think the more you that people understand and 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 sort of have a relationship with the makers who make their objects the more they are willing to actually pay higher prices. If I've bought work from people in the states and I've paid $100 for a mug or $150 for a bowl. That kind of thing is sometimes unheard of in Canada and we're trying to push those boundaries of prices and letting people know that it's okay to spend, you know, you spend 600 bucks on your new phone, you can spend on a mug, you know, your new phone's going to last you two years, that mug could last you the rest of your lifetime, and you could hand it down to three generations, right? So we're trying to sort of explain to people some of that process, and showing the lives of these makers, and how you're not just investing in an object that's going to be in your house, or a piece of art that you're going to appreciate on one level, you're actually investing in people, and you're letting them live a certain type of lifestyle that they want to live and that you're supporting saying that, you know, makers are important and that small businesses are important and that local is important. All those things sort of is what you're supporting when you support these artists.
0: Well, thanks, Kara. This is great. I love being able to go off on tangents and talk about work, but let's bring it back for a moment and just remind about some of the things we've been talking about. So you run the blog Musing About Mud. Yes. Which is a blog that... Sorry, how would you summarize?
1: For me, what it is, is it started off as a blog so that I could find community and sort of be a resource for community, like do something to give back to my community. So it's a ceramic-based blog, and it basically has a bunch of different things that that go on every week on the blog. We've got Monday Morning Eye Candy, which showcases an international artist uh, and shows a bit of their work and links to their websites. There's Technical Tuesdays, which focus in a little bit more on different techniques, things that teachers can take to the classroom, different videos that artists could try out, different techniques in their studios, those kinds of things. Wednesday is movie day, so there's often It ranges pretty dramatically. It could be a TED Talk. It could be sort of an artist profile that they've done with somebody about their life in their studio and what their art's about. It could be a little bit more philosophical. It could just be a funny cartoon that involves pottery. Who knows? And then on the weekends, I also have emerging artist weekends now. So every weekend, it's sort of like Monday Morning Eye Candy, but it's specifically set aside for emerging artists. And I just, I really believe that they, that, you know, coming up through the ranks and trying to get your name out there is really important to sort of have those opportunities and so I really wanted to have that space where emerging artists could contact me and share their work and that I could put it up there and give them sort of, a you know a wider audience to see their work and again, that's international I do get a lot of Canadian... Artists who who submit to that, which is awesome, and I'm always trying to really push the Canadian content on Musing about mud. But, and then outside of that, it's um, I repost calls for submissions, uh, job opportunities, exhibitions that are coming up, residency opportunities. Basically, a whole ton of stuff that's that I think is relevant to the community. That that's opportunities that they might be looking for, and I find that people follow musing and then they also follow me on Facebook and on Facebook there's probably like what you see on musing is maybe like 40% 40% of what I share is compared to Facebook. So on Facebook, there's a lot more like articles, reviews of shows, all that kind of stuff. And I, I share a lot of that there as well.
0: So that's one small part. Then you were one of the founders of Flock and Gather. You're not a director anymore, but you did found Flock and Gather and ran it for a number of years along with a few other people and one of our local curated craft markets, one yes. of the few that we have. And as I mentioned before, well attended.
1: Yeah, they're still doing an amazing job. It's awesome to see that it's continued on after our group sort of passed it off because we needed to go on to other things and new challenges. and
0: Other things like this Make and Do project. So then, what we're talking about today and part of what this is built toward is makeanddo.ca. So a new ceramics website. And if you want to give it one last plug here, Carol.
1: Oh, I don't even know what to say. Just go and check it out. There's tons of fun stuff and it's constantly changing and it's only going to grow from what you see now. So I'm really excited about a lot of the changes that'll be happening and a lot of the growth that'll happen specifically on the blog and the Instagram account. But yeah, just be patient with us because it's a lot of volunteer hours and (laughs) it's going to grow hopefully into something really amazing. But it already is something really amazing and it's definitely something worth checking out. Um, I really support all of the artists, the 15 artists that are on there. I adore their work and I, I really, really respect them as artists and what they're doing and they're great examples of not only great art ceramic art that's being made in Canada but also good examples for people to look at in terms of how people are making a living and and balancing life and art and and all of those sorts of professional issues that we come up with and they're all definitely people who are really easy to contact and ask questions too so I really support people getting involved and you know coming to the table and getting in conversation with these artists.
0: And again, that's makeanddo.ca or on Instagram, makeanddo.
1: Uh, it's actually make and do ceramics on Instagram. Awesome. Good yeah. to know. We couldn't get just make and do.
0: Uh, as it happens. <laughs> again, I'm in the studio tonight with Carol Epp. And if you want to see more of Carol's own work, you can go to, to, just to give you more websites if we haven't already <laughs> given you enough tonight, carolepp.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-E-E-P-P.com. Oh. Or follow Musing About Mud on Instagram so thanks again for being in the studio with me thank Thank you so much
1: michael for having me and it's been awesome Mm. we didn't talk enough about cats though we did not bart would have let us talk about cats
0: (laughs) on that note My name is Michael. This has been Unframed Conversations About the Arts on CFCR 90.5 FM. A reminder, you can follow us as well on social media. We're Unframed Radio on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, if you'd like to listen to this episode again or hear any of our past episodes, go to unframedradio.com or download our podcast on iTunes. Thank you and have a good evening.